Welcome to the Homeland Heroes Salute, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories to heal and honor our heroes. We are your hosts, Bill Taub and Dave Tilly. This is Dave Tilly welcoming you to Homeland Heroes Salute. Uh, my co-host, Phil Taub, is unable to join us today, but we've got a uh, wonderful guest and Steve Fino, who is uh, a... Uh, heads up Camp Resilience and is also a Army veteran himself, retired with over 20 years experience as a chaplain. And uh, Steve, we welcome you on to uh, Homeland Heroes Salute. Welcome. Hey, it's great to be here, Dave. It's uh, nice to talk to you. Yes, well, if you if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what... Um, you know what got you interested in joining the uh, in the service? So uh, I'm kind of uh, reluctantly got into the military initially, um, way way back when in the late '80s. Uh, I had no intention really of joining the military, but um, I, I, I was on a path to. Uh, <laughs> to become a pastor and um, was uh, in theological training, met my wife and uh, was getting ready to graduate from college and, and wanted to go to graduate school to continue my training, but uh, didn't have any money. And um, some fellow students in the, in the school that I was at, they from various branches had uh, uh, had this wonderful check that came in every month called the GI Bill, and that interested me. So uh, when I graduated from theological school from Bible college, uh, uh, I got married and I joined the Army for a two-year enlistment to get the GI Bill. And so there was a a 10-day period there where I graduated from college, got married, and left for basic training within a 10-day period. Uh, And uh, um, it, that, that was an interesting transition, to say the least. I, I heard the Lord's name mentioned just as much in basic training as I had in Bible college. It was just in a very different context, uh, if you know what I mean. So uh, um, that, that was a, an interesting transition. But my wife and I, uh, fiance at the time, we decided that was that was the way to go. And so we did and got through uh, basic. And, and now, where, uh, where, it, where was your basic again? So uh, I joined the infantry. They had it. Um, yeah. Back in the late 80s, they had a two-year enlistment, and uh, that sounded good to me. And um, the only MOSs, the only jobs available were cook, supply clerk, or infantry. And uh, so I picked infantry and uh, went down to Fort Benning, Georgia, for one station unit training, uh, the basic training and AIT advanced individual training. And I was able... uh, to also tack on airborne school. So I was I was down at Fort Benning for uh for 13 weeks uh for one station unit training, then three weeks for airborne school. Uh and uh and and then uh got to join my my new bride and we uh drove up to Fort Lewis, Washington, where I uh served the remainder of uh my two-year tour up there. And uh so at the end of that enlistment, um, I, you know what, I decided I checked off the military thing, 
uh, and uh, figured that was it. In fact, um, as we were leaving Fort Lewis, um, I told my wife, you know, there may come a time in the future where I may say I, I want to uh, come back into the military. Right now, I don't want anything to do with it, but I, I don't know, maybe in the future, I'll change my mind. If, if that ever happens, I want you to remind me of this day that we're leaving and there is not no greater happiness for me than seeing Fort Lewis in our rear view mirror. I want you to remind me <laughs> if I ever wanna join again that uh, uh, I, 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 had, I had about enough after two years. Um, yeah. Well, fast forward, uh, went, to, went to graduate school, uh, we had a couple of kids, uh, found ourselves up in um, central New Hampshire, pastoring a small church and um, and loving it in a lot of ways, but uh, having a hard time putting food on the table because this little church was doing about the best they could for us, but that wasn't enough to, uh, uh, to really make ends meet. And so I was looking for part-time jobs and I was doing little odd jobs here and there. And you know what, I, I started thinking maybe I should join the National Guard. And uh, it was a 15 year break in service from the time I left Fort Lewis uh, as a, an E4 specialist in the, in the Army Infantry and ETS, I got out and told my wife I never wanted to go back in, in again, but if I ever thought I, I did to, for her to talk me out of it, 15 years later, I said, you know what, honey, I think I might want to join the national guard she reminded me of that conversation yeah. but but um we were all good about it uh and thought that that would be a good way to go to join the national guard as a chaplain because um as i suspected would be the case and has certainly turned out to be the case uh coming in as a chaplain is a different a little different than coming in as uh enlisted infantry and, and therefore so, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's it, again, the Lord's name comes up. It's in a different context. It's uh, it's a very different experience, and of course, different coming in as an officer, as well. But um, so yeah, in two thousand and three, I uh, joined as a as a chaplain in the New Hampshire Army National Guard, and um, and of course, if we can all remember back to two thousand three, those of us that were born, uh, there's so. So, so many of our new soldiers coming in, they weren't even born in 2003. 9-11 uh, was, uh, you know, something that they didn't experience. But for those of us who remember 2003, obviously 9-11 was not too distant, uh, not in the not too distant past. And uh, we were we were very much engaged in two wars in the Middle East. And um and in 2000, the end of 2003, the National Guard started to be activated in a very uh, robust manner, uh, which, to be honest, is still continuing to this day, all these years later. And um, so I wasn't deployed right away, but I was activated to, uh, to, to work in New Hampshire in support of the families of soldiers. Um, that were activated. Um, and uh, for the remainder of my chaplain career, beginning in 2003, most of my career up until 
just last September when I retired uh, as as a from the National Guard as a chaplain. Um, most of my career uh, was in a full time capacity, either uh, deployed or most of it here in New Hampshire or uh, you know training in other parts of the world. So uh, it was it was definitely not a um, a typical what people would think of as a as a part time military career. Uh, and honestly, that's pretty much the case for most people that are part of the reserve component, reserves and National Guard today. It's certainly not what it used to be just one week in a month and two weeks out of the year. So um, that that was my military experience somewhat uh, reluctantly came back in as a chaplain, but have, have you know spent better part of the past two decades doing that job, loving it, very demanding work, uh, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of crisis intervention, um, a lot of funerals, uh, a lot of a, um, uh, what we call casualty notification, visiting families to let them know that their loved one had died in service. Um, so a lot of hard stuff, but in, in each case, feeling very much that uh, what I got to be a part of, not just me, but all those that I worked with, uh, other chaplains, uh, other, we used to call chaplain assistants, now we call religious affairs right. specialists, the uh, the folks that help chaplains, enlisted folks, and the whole support team and all the uh, guard members, um, being part of that team for the past two decades has been a tremendous privilege. Um, and. Uh, I'm really happy to have to have experienced it, um, and that that brings us up to just a few months ago, yeah, end of September uh, of this year. That, that's tremendous, Steve. I, I uh, uh, what we share in common was I, I was active duty also in the uh, the '90s, '92 to '96, and then in active reserve, and then I got my old self back in in the guard uh, around 2009 time frame so so also a, a big gap in uh in service and active to guard and di different mos's myself but uh uh i'm curious in in your first in uh in active duty and and then also uh if you could share your guard what, what were in in both uh areas of service your kind of if you could highlight your Hardest times or worst times and best times of, of both. Sounds like you had more worst times in the in the first uh, uh, service endeavor. Yeah, I guess I would guess so. That's, um, but you know what? It's it's all good, right? Any any veteran yeah. uh, can tell you the it's it's the whole the whole gamut, the highs and lows, right. the good and the bad. It's all it's all one experience, and as you. Uh, kind of put some distance to those experiences. You can see some good life lessons uh, out of them. And then, I mean, first, and in some cases, there are some not so good life lessons, depending on the experience that folks have. Not everybody has had an easy time of it. But, um, well, yeah, so in the late 80s, that was a diff way different world, right? So I'm talking about people that weren't alive during 9-11. That, that was ancient history when 9-11 came along, the late 80s, my goodness. Um, so 
it was a different world. And that was before even Desert Storm hit. So uh, kind of a sleepy time in terms of uh, foreign policy for the, for the U.S. and for uh, military operations around the world. And so um, uh, uh, I would say, um, you know, the, the experience back then as a, a junior enlisted, and I was, I was young, I wasn't 18, I was, you know, 22 when I joined, because I had spent some time in college. But uh, I mean, it was a culture shock to me, obviously, coming from the two extremes of uh, preparing for Christian ministry and then joining the infantry. Those are some very different worlds. And so uh, it, it, was a, it was a rough shock for me. However, it, it was a life, huge life lesson. And so ultimately, I, I learned to appreciate that. It was, at the time, it didn't seem pleasant. But through, uh, you know, the distance of time and experience and maturity, um, that, that was a really uh, valuable time for me. And then certainly when I came back in as a chaplain in the guard, uh, those lessons served me well and that experience served me well. Uh, and it gave me a measure of credibility with uh, soldiers that I I'm, uh, would not have had to that extent um, right. had I not had that experience. And um, so as far as the obviously a much longer period of time, uh, two years versus close to 20 years, uh, two years enlisted way back when, 20 years as a chaplain. Uh, you know, it's, it's been, there's been definitely tough times uh, as, as uh, a chaplain. Uh, I was deployed uh, back uh, in uh, 2010, 2011, a full year away from family. That, that's hard, but, but far and away, the hardest uh, without question, the hardest experience, experiences that I've had, and I mentioned them earlier, would be those casualty notification uh, operations, um, uh, knocking on that door with another soldier to let uh, family members know that their soldier has died. Um, it is, uh, uh, it, yeah, that, that, that was difficult. And um, I can't say that I miss it at all. And I can't say that I'm not relieved that I will never have to be woken up in the middle of the night with a call saying, get your dress mm -hmm. uniform and be prepared to knock on this door at six o'clock in the morning. Uh, I'm not gonna miss it at all, uh, but I recognize the, the importance of that mission because, uh, uh, somebody's got to break the news. And um, the way we do it, I think, is is the way that provides the most support to the family in that horrible, horrible moment. And so even even that, the most difficult experience, uh, I also, you know, feel that there's there was certainly value in it. And um, uh, I, I feel honored that I was able to be in in those living rooms, uh, even though that, that was a difficult mission to be involved with. That was very, very, um, very difficult. I, I, uh, 
can can completely appreciate uh, you know the the service that that you provided to to the families. It's uh, I, I had had uh, both um, funeral duty when I when I was active in the service, but also uh, uh, when I'd served working for members of Congress, going you know to every service member's um, funerals that that returned home from. Uh, from conflicts and uh, it, it's um, very, very trying, but very important. And uh, really, really appreciate what what you do with helping the families in that in that capacity on uh, serving our veterans' families that where the veterans gave the ultimate um, sacrifice and. Uh, through and, and through uh, your service as a chaplain, you were also uh, were were you still serving full time as a pastor as well? So so as I as I said when I I yeah. joined the guard, that was the intent was to have a part time job that would allow me to continue to be a pastor. But the uh, National Guard quickly took over and became full time. Now there there were gaps. I, I tell people I tried mightily and failed miserably to be a traditional guardsman. I, I, I tried to step back a few times from the full-time force to go back into pastoral ministry, but it, it just became too difficult um, uh, to, uh, to, to do honor to both jobs because both of them are demanding. And so most of my time was uh, spent full-time with the guard um, and uh, um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't regret that at all. It was an unexpected turn for me. I never would have uh, thought that was the direction my life would take, uh, but I'm glad it did. It's been, it's been a great career, and uh, now it's uh, it, it, uh, at this stage of the game. Uh, now that I've retired from the military, it's, um, it's an interesting transition now to, to see what has opened up for me. Uh, uh, now uh, on the other side of my military career with Camp Resilience. Right. Well, and, you know, and as you mentioned earlier, too, I mean, since the 90s, the Guard, uh, guard and Reserves have been um, utilized a lot more and more for uh, deployments and called into service, um, too. So your, your role is just uh, so vital. And now from... Now to pivot to after service and and camp resilience. How how did that all begin for you? And I I've got to uh, mention too. I know um, and appreciate a lot of the great work that Camp Resilience does for our for our veterans here in New Hampshire. So Camp Camp Resilience is a wonderful organization, and I I don't say that because I'm part of it. I'm part of it because I believe that's true. Um, so Camp Resilience started back in 2014 by a, a group of uh, folks, veterans in the Guilford, New Hampshire area that um, wanted to provide a, uh, a, a retreat uh, setting, a retreat experience for, uh, initially for veterans, it's since expanded 
to be uh, veterans and first responders to uh, to help them uh, use the the power and the beauty and and uh, the just the great experience of being outdoors in central New Hampshire uh, to uh, to have a positive impact on some of the negative impacts they've experienced through their service. And so uh, with fairly humble beginnings back in 2014, uh, uh, since, since then the um, organization Camp Resilience has, has uh, uh, conducted uh, very close to a hundred retreats. We'll, uh, we'll be um, conducting our 100th retreat in um in just a couple months and uh you know well over 900 participants total uh in those retreats and um uh in in 2023 we're looking at our most ambitious year so far with 21 retreats planned so almost you know one every two weeks or so um and these are our three and four day retreats in, uh, well, around New Hampshire, many of them are in the Guilford, New Hampshire area, uh, but we do have uh, retreats in other locations as well. And uh, there's three components that make up these retreats. So there'd be uh, facilitated peer-to-peer -peer support, meaning we've got, uh, uh, clinical folks or, or folks with a, some sort of expertise uh, around getting uh, veterans to communicate with one another in uh, a group setting or you know first responders to uh, interact with one another in a group setting. Facilitated peer-to-peer -peer support is one component. Life skills learning would be the other component. And that'd be anything from uh, you know anger management to uh, mindfulness, uh, various wellness topics we do equestrian uh, uh, assisted learning, working with horses, uh, all kinds of different things to, to help people develop life skills or strengthen their life skills so that they're able to manage the, um, the aftermath of the experiences they've had. So uh, uh, life skills learning is a second component. The third mm. um, component would be uh, uh, experiential learning. We prefer outdoor experiential learning. We do do some indoor, like rock climbing and uh, that kind of stuff. We do yoga. Uh, we do some stuff indoors, but we prefer to get people outdoors: hiking, kayaking, skiing. You know, obviously, depending on the the time of year, snowshoeing. Uh, we find that those three components: um, peer to peer support, life skill, life skills workshops, and outdoor experiential learning. Uh, together in a group experience of between eight to 12 individuals. We find that's kind of the, the uh, that's the magic. I just going to ask what the size group is that you're, that, that yep. you're engaged with. Yep. yep. So that, so around 10, so eight, eight to 12 is kind of the, the magic uh, uh, target that we shoot for sometimes so it might be a little less, sometimes a little more, but we find that, uh, outside of those parameters, uh, you know, too few people makes it maybe a little bit too intimidating for people to uh, interact. More people allows people to kind of uh, not interact and, and, and stay back, but eight to 12 
kind of uh, gets them to open up and uh, interact with one another. And we don't do group counseling. We do we do workshops. We do activities. Mm-hmm. We uh, we let them interact. And very often, what we find, uh, in fact, very, um, very common experiences for folks on the way there. They they're apprehensive, and many times they'll say, people will say, you know, we we almost turned back. We didn't show up because they were nervous of what what is this going to be like? I don't I don't know. Uh, but once they get there, very quickly they go from uh, a group of strangers to a group of friends, and by the end of three or four days. Uh, these these folks have formed bonds, and it's really quite amazing to see the interaction and the wisdom in the room when these veterans or when these first responders get together and able to uh, kind of uh, let their hair down, be able to uh, open up to one another, speak in a way that uh, they know other first responders or other veterans will understand and not freak out about. and um, uh, be themselves in a way that they very often would not be comfortable doing with civilians, with people that aren't part of uh, their common experience as a veteran or first responders. Uh, something pretty uh, pretty remarkable that happens over the course of three or four days. And uh, we uh, try to keep folks connected after that through a, a, a private um, uh, uh, chat room type uh, experience where they interact with one another uh beyond the uh the retreats so so that's camp resilience has been going since 2014 uh started as a group of all volunteers um and did remarkable work and um have started added adding over the years some full-time staff and so just recently uh we've added three full-time staff and we have one part-time staff person that's been on board. So uh, uh, in order to manage as many retreats as we're looking to do uh, this next year and perhaps more in, in uh, years beyond, uh, we really need a full, full-time staff to, uh, to accommodate that. And we still use volunteers. Uh, our, our volunteers still do a lot for Camp Resilience. That's the 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 structure that we're using now and i i first learned about camp resilience uh i'd say back in 2018 i think that's correct a few years ago um and as a chaplain in the guard i was in the guard at the time one of the things that chaplains do uh we we run retreats for couples and for families military couples and families uh around communication skills and uh the same kinds of things that uh, uh, camp resilience does. Uh, so I had some experience with retreats and I found out about camp resilience. I met with Kurt Weber, the president and the founder of camp resilience. Uh, we, uh, started chatting. Uh, he told me what camp resilience does. I told him, you know, what I do on the chaplain side. And so I started volunteering with camp resilience back in 2018 by running, uh, their first family retreats for veterans. And um, since then, I've uh, helped run two or three uh, retreats a year, except for the COVID year, um, when we weren't able to to do anything. But um, so I've had an experience with Camp Resilience that goes back. And then when I stepped down, uh, getting ready to retire from the National Guard uh, position opened up 
as executive director and they asked me to come on board and one thing led to another and uh and and here i am uh uh left the uh, national guard at the end of september and started with camp resilience beginning of, of october that's that's incredible steve and i i can attest uh um, you know, for our listeners, too, uh, of the tremendous work that, that you do, uh, just from the veterans uh, that that we serve uh, at Harbor Care Veterans First that have experienced homelessness and have benefited from uh, camp resilience. And, and I know, too, the great partnership with our with Home, Homeland Heroes and Homeland Heroes Salute. Uh, and just have a question. If I, how, how would I, I know how our veterans through um, that partnership have connected to Camp Resilience, but how, how would a veteran um, uh, connect with you? What does that process look like of a, a veteran wanting to learn more? And, and also, if a veteran is, you know, participating um, through one of your programs, and I know you you keep in touch uh, with them, do they, they sometimes participate in further Camp resilience um, activities after. So so yeah. So first first question: How how do folks find us? How do how do folks get uh, to one of our retreats? The best way to to reach out is to uh, go online, uh, campresilience.org, uh, and uh, uh, click on future retreats and sign up right there. That's that's the easiest way to do it. There's a a menu there of different uh, retreats. So we have retreats for uh, veterans. We have retreats for first responders. We have retreats for veteran couples, for for families. So you can look at uh, the different offerings. And if there's something as a veteran or a first responder that interests you, uh, you, you uh, uh, click uh, apply for a retreat and and send in an application and uh, we're off to the races. We, we uh, start to connect with you and uh, uh, get you to the retreat. So um, that's that's the best way to reach us. Um, and uh, it, for folks that do come to our retreats, yeah, we do have alumni. We have folks that come back um, for uh, other retreats. That's perfectly fine. In fact, we encourage that. Um, we do tell folks that uh, in the application process, because our, our retreats are small enough eight to 12 participants uh, and even a busy year coming up spread out every couple of weeks. It, we're, we're small enough. And, and this is part of the reason why we need uh, a full-time staff is we're, we're able to connect with each applicant um, and uh, uh, very often in most cases, we end up on the phone with them. Uh, we start off with an introductory email but we're on the phone and um, we we uh, do tell folks that if it's their if they've been to a previous retreat, uh, we'll put them on the wait list. And so it'll be a space available only. We'll give priority to people that haven't been to a retreat yet, but uh, very often there's room. And uh, we'll, we we encourage people to come back um, and uh, get a refresher and uh, um, and bring a friend and, you know, tell tell people. Uh, that this was a good experience because uh, we do find that it's uh, um, our, you know, word of mouth is one of the, the best ways that our uh, information about our program 
spreads. It's it's through our through happy customers because this stuff uh, is always life changing. A retreat is always life changing for the people that go through it. Uh, in some cases, in some cases, it's life saving. We have had folks that have told us they were in a pretty bad place and uh, they might not have uh, ha- have made it had had they not taken the time to come to one of our tr- our retreats and kind of uh, get that reset that they needed to uh, to to realize that they could do this and and life was worth living. That's right. Well, thank th- thank you so much. I can't. Uh... You know, thank thank you enough for what you do and what uh, Cap Resilience does. I mean, what a uh, <laughs> you're um, very very blessed with the the service that uh, that you had in the military and and what you were able to provide as a as a chaplain in your earlier service, and now you you continue to give back through through Camp Resilience and. Uh, and and just uh, amazing work. How, uh, if you could, as, as we we wrap up, and this time has just uh, gone so quick, Steve. How would folks find out more, you know, about Camp Resilience? Uh, could you share also, you know, the website contact information uh, for our listeners? So so certainly, and uh, again the. Uh, our website, campresilience.org, that's camp-resilience.org. If you Google Camp Resilience, uh, we'll, we'll pop up. But that's that's the best place for uh, to find um, out about our uh, information, your information, but you're, you're, I'm, I'm going to give my phone number here. Reach out, give me a call if you're interested. So uh, uh, be prepared to copy out there and uh, <laughs> listening lands, uh, 802 Four seven eight zero one seven seven. Say that again. Eight zero two four seven eight zero one seven seven. Give give me a call. I, I would love to hear from anybody that's interested in finding out more about Camp Resilience and whether or not um, a retreat would be right for you. And the chances are, uh, uh, the answer is yes. Uh, and uh, we, but uh, I, I'm happy to talk to you and. Um, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much, Stephen. What's great about a podcast too is that this is taped so our listeners can share this and, and also share your, your contact information on their, on their social media, on, on Facebook and, and so on, and uh, to learn more about uh, the great work you're doing at Camp Resilience. Uh, Steve, on behalf of uh, Phil Taub and, and myself and our friends at Homeland Heroes, we, we couldn't be more grateful to have you join us on, on our podcast, Homeland Heroes Salute. And thanks so much for your, for your past service and your continued service for our veterans community. Thanks hey, for joining us. It, it's, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, pure pleasure. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for your service for Harbor Care and uh, as well as for uh, Homeland Heroes and uh, the great, great work that that they do. I've loved working with you guys over the years and look forward to many more. Oh, thank you.
This podcast is a co-production brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation, an organization dedicated to the reacclimation support of active duty service members, veterans, and their families in their time of need. And Dairy Cam, who believes a better world starts with a connected community. To learn more, visit homelandheroesfoundation.org and dairycam.org. Follow the Homeland Heroes Salute on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe to the Homeland Heroes Salute wherever you listen to podcasts. The views expressed by our guests and others are solely their own. Views expressed in this podcast do not represent any of the uniformed services, the Homeland Heroes Foundation, Dairy Cam, Swim with a Mission, Harbor Care, Veterans First, or any other organization.